John chapter 1, fourth week of, of us um, looking at beholding the fact that the Word became flesh. While you're flipping there, a couple of announcements. Um, taking a break right now uh, from small groups. They'll start back the week of January the 21st. Uh, so the week of January the, uh, the 21st. And then uh, next Sunday, we will have uh, the 2024 budget available for you, church budget, to, to look at. And we'll have a, a, a family um, church-wide vote on that on January the 21st. So uh, our, our uh, documents state that when we vote on something as a church, we get it to you two weeks ahead of time. So um, in your, on your bulletin this morning, it says that we're voting on it on the 14th. That's a typo. It should be the 21st, okay? So we'll have them available for you next week, ministry budget for 2024, and then we'll vote on that the 21st. All right, who, let, let's, let's be honest this morning as you're in John chapter 1. Who has not taken their Christmas lights down yet? Okay, who is not going to take their Christmas lights down this week either? Look at y'all. Like, does anybody just like leave a tree up like the whole year, like a fake tree? Anybody? Okay, we don't have any crazies like that, okay? So uh, I did, Lauren did have a relative that just kind of covered it and put it in the corner and, uh, and then uncovered it, you know, like in, in November. But Christmas lights, I like Christmas lights, you like Christmas lights. Anybody go to Matthews Road, that's like the best Christmas lights in Jones County, um, 88.7 FM. You say, if you've never been, they, they, do they still have them up today? Do we know that? Like, that's a fun New Year's Eve deal today. He may have taken them down, but if you go down Matthews Road off of Highway 15 North, promise me, and some of y'all can amen this, it's worth, it's worth going out there, right? It is, good stuff. Anyway, um, let's be honest, though. Some of you, and you may be, uh, you may not admit this, but if you do just say amen with me as well. Some of your favorite Christmas lights, to be honest, were the taillights of certain cars leaving your driveway in your house. <laughs> right? I see a couple nods. Yeah. It's fun to, uh, to behold the Christmas season, and it's those little graces like time with family and friends and, you know, hanging out and sipping hot chocolate and throwing away wrapping paper. All this stuff that we behold should ultimately point us back to the reason why this has been a season of wonder, because we are beholding who came. And the, the mystery, the glory, the awe-inspiring nature of the incarnation of God becoming human, where I, I get the fact that, like, in the next seven days, school's going to crank back up, we're going to put stuff away, we're going to get back into kind of, you know, just life. The challenge is to pray by God's grace to realize that the baby just wasn't born, that his, na that his name wasn't Emmanuel in the sense that he's born and we put him away. But the prophet prophesied that Emmanuel would be born, which means God with us. And so God lived among us, we find out. And he died on a cross, and he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, and 40 days later, he ascended to the Father. He did not leave us as orphans. He sent the Holy Spirit. And so even now, guess what? Even though the Christmas season is over, moving forward, God is still with us. John chapter 1, 
verse 15 through 18. The 18th verse of John ends what we've been calling the prologue, the introduction that sets the standard for the rest of the gospel of John. And so let's finish it out. Justin walked us through verse 14 last week, such a monumental verse um, for the Christian life. Let's read 15 (coughs) through 18. And notice this is a parenthesis, and I'll explain why in just a moment. But John bore witness about him. Who is that? The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God, or the only one who is God, who is at the Father's side, he, this one, has made him, God, known. Lord, we pray this morning you would help us understand the Scripture. As we wrap up the Christmas season, we end one year, we move forward to the next year. We're thankful that you are the ancient of days, that you rule over all years and all centuries and all millennium and all time and all eternity. But for us, Lord, as we move into a new year, it's so thankful, God, that we can look at a passage like this and be challenged and learn and be encouraged. And Holy Spirit, we pray you would teach the word to us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of the message this morning is Behold and Be Bold. So moving into the new year, what are some challenges? What can we learn as we move into a new year and we think about what this passage is telling us, the implications of the incarnation, what God is trying to say to us from his word? Three points today. I'll end the year that way. First is this. I want you to see the witness to the word. The witness to the word. Verse 15 starts off this way. John bore witness about him. Now this is John, John the baptizer, John the Baptist, John the forerunner. Justin introduced us to him a few weeks back. If you go back to verse 6, you'll see that there was a man sent from God. His name was John. That's not John the apostle. That's John the Baptist. And so there's a witness that's going on here, and the witness is to the word, about the word, concerning the word. And what we find is in the gospel of John is that he makes heavy, 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 heavy emphasis upon bearing witness, testifying about, providing a testimony. Not just that something's accurate, but what is accurate and real has been personally experienced. Now that's really important in Christianity. You see, here's the thing. Being a witness for Christ or about Christ or concerning Christ just doesn't mean that you got the facts down. He was born in a manger. There's probably a donkey around. The Magi weren't there. They came several months later, right? (laughs) Um, His adopted father was Joseph. His birth mother was Mary, who was a virgin. He was born... During the reign of Caesar Augustus in Rome and Herod the Great in Judea, he grew up and became a carpenter. 
He did a lot of miracles. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. All of that is true. And if I were to share that, I would be witnessing accurately about that, right? But here's the difference in the Christian experience. Christianity is not just the repetition of certain historical facts about Jesus of Nazareth. The Christian witness is somebody who not only knows those facts, but whose life has been changed forever because of those facts. That's the difference. So when someone says that they testify, they're not just saying, here's some facts. What they're saying is, I believe those facts to be true, and one of the real reasons why I believe those facts to be true is because I have personally experienced them. Now check this out. The experience does not prove the facts are true. The experience happens because the facts are true. We do not want to get in the situation where we judge whether something's objectively true or not based off what we feel about it. That's how cults get started. I had a weird feeling. I had a weird movement. Something happened. I, you know, had this feeling. Something happened inside of me. And, and it's true because of that. When you can bring all kinds of objective evidence, say no, 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 right? It is because the gospel is true is that God uses the preaching of the gospel to bring about new life, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God. There's difference. And the gospel is the only thing, objectively, that God has packaged his power into to save. Why? Because it's based off reality and truth. And so, in verse 15, specifically, the witness here is talking about John the Baptist, and that's what I want you to see first. John the Baptist bore witness, really, about two things. About Jesus' supreme rank and Jesus' eternal existence. Now, notice that. There's a witness here that John bears witness about, and it is about where Jesus ranks and about how long he's been around. Notice what it says. John bore witness about him, and he cried out. He didn't whisper. He cried out. He's, he's convinced of these things, right? He cried out. And what did he cry out? This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me. Now, that's, that's a strange statement because physically Jesus was born what? After John the Baptist. We read that in Luke's gospel, right? Elizabeth, the, the wife of a priest, gets pregnant. It's really interesting, by the way, if you study the women in the Bible that couldn't have children, and then they, somebody intercedes on their behalf, and then the, the type of child that comes about, right? I mean, it's greatly used by God, I and mean, that's great encouragement, right? God's got plans. And John the Baptist was physically born to an older couple who couldn't have children, and he was born several months before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And so in the Jewish mindset, it's the older person, the person that comes first, that is more important. But you remember when John the Baptist showed up, you remember what he said? Hey, it's not about me. I'm a forerunner. I'm a voice. I'm, I'm telling you all about somebody that's going to come. John says this over and over and over again. He who comes after me, he ranks before me. So John says the one that is coming later that's physically younger than me, guess what? He is of much more importance than me. My job is not to stay in the middle and bask in the spotlight. I am put in the middle for a short time to testify about him who is to come, and when he comes, guess what? I'm going to slip off the sidelines. 
Remember what he says in 3.30, kind of the summation of his witness? He must increase, but I must decrease. Here's a little study for you. Jesus said, had seven I am statements in his ministry, right? Jesus says, I am, I am, I am. John the Baptist had seven I am nots. That's a great word for the new year, right? I am not, but he is I am. I'm going to testify about him. I'm going to get off the sidelines. I'm going to, you know, the people, uh, John's disciples got frustrated. Hey, the one you baptized, everybody's leaving us and going to hang out with him. John said, that's the point. Why? Notice what he says, verse 15, because he was before me. That didn't make any sense unless you're thinking of somebody who at the beginning already was, at the beginning already was with God, prosantheon, and is God. This doesn't make any sense physically. How was he before you when you were born before him? No, no, no. I'm not talking about physical existence. John says, I'm talking about somebody who already was at the beginning. You know why he's greater than me? Because you can calculate my beginning nine months before I was born to my mama and my daddy, Elizabeth and Zachariah. But this one, you can't calculate. He is the ancient of days. He is before the before. From eternity past, there never was a time when he was not. And John says, guess what? I'm a witness about him. Let me just mention these in passing, just a couple more, about this witness This entire prologue, these entire 18 verses are also a witness about Jesus. It's not just John the Baptist that's bearing witness, but just write this down real quick. John the Apostle bore witness about Jesus' identity as God and man. See what's going on here? John is writing about John the Baptist. There's a man sent from God. His name's John. He testified. John's testimony here. But you know, there's also a witness. John the Apostle is bearing witness, right? He's the one telling us that the Word became flesh. He's the one telling us that... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He created all things. He's the one, as Justin told us last week, that this Word became flesh. That the invisible God became visible. That the immortal God took on mortality. As you read through the Gospel of John, you find out that John the Apostle, the writer, the author here is, He hints throughout. He says, I saw this, and I'm writing this so you all know this is true. I'm writing this so that you may believe. I'm writing this so you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. John's, the apostle, his unique witness is he's trying to show us that this word to the Greeks, an impersonal force, to uh, the Jews, the, 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 the agent of life and creation, this one that we couldn't touch or handle or see that in the fullness of time he took on flesh. John opens his epistle, 1 John, this way. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John says that which we could not see in Jesus, we see. That which we did not hear or could not hear audibly, we heard. That which we (laughs) have never been able to look upon, we touched with our hands. John the Apostle has given us a witness also. But the greatest witness in the Gospel of John is this witness. It's the word (laughs) about the word. It's Jesus himself bearing witness about himself. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus 
says who he is. I just mentioned there's seven I am statements. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection of the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. And if you remember in John, at the arrest of Jesus, he doesn't run and hide. He steps forward and he goes, who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he answers in the Greek, ego me. I am. Nothing else. We have an italicized he in our Bibles just to get the full statement. But, but what Jesus, who are you? Or where, who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. Ego me. I am. And guess what happened? When he said that, John says that they fell down. Because he dropped <laughs> the holy name of God. And then that's why Jesus got killed, <laughs> that he witnessed. Standing before Pilate, who are you? And Jesus says, I came, I entered this world to bear witness to the truth. Throughout the Gospel of John, they pick up stones to kill Jesus because he says, I and the Father, we're one. Not the same person, we're the same God. That's literally what it says in the Greek. I and the Father, we are one. I look to the Father. He sends me. That's why Jesus got killed. Here's a question for 2024. It won't be on the screen, but here's a question. What are we going to bear witness about in 2024? What are we going to be bold about in 2024? What are the things that we are going to stand upon and cry out and share in 2024? So we scroll through social media and <clears throat> we see what the world is so convinced at and a lot of jawing, a lot of talking. It's college football bowl season, by the way. I'm a Saints fan this year, so I don't have anything to talk about in the NFL. Um, I mean, I didn't watch them today. I told Lauren, I was like, you know, this is where we're at. Poor Florida State. Thought about Rocky Ford, just throwing the towel, right? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Good, you didn't waste three hours yesterday. Um, what are we going to be bold about? What are we going to be certain of? John the Baptist, certain about who Jesus is. John the Apostle, certain about who Jesus is. Jesus, certain about who Jesus is. John cries out, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. This is what I've found out in my life. When I am super solid, functioning, thinking, meditating, honoring, prizing Jesus in the right place, most of the time, who he is will come out in my life and my mouth. Because just for me, the times when I don't share Christ is because the person that I am trying to share Christ with, I probably value them a little higher than Jesus. Think about that. Isn't that right? And so you see here where there's a prizing of who he is, when there's a beholding of who he is, there's a sharing, a crying out of who he is. I mean, John was a voice in the wilderness, right? I mean, let's be honest. Some dude shows up, he eats locusts and wild honey and wears camel skin. That dude's crazy. One thing about John, he knew who Jesus was. 
And if you keep reading chapter 1, you'll find out that it was John's preaching that drew John the Apostle to Jesus. John the Apostle was following John the Baptist. He wasn't an apostle at this point, but he's following John the Baptist. And, John, and, and Jesus walks by, and John goes, Hey, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And you know what happened? That day, John the Baptist lost two apostles, or two followers, two disciples. Not apostles, disciples. He lost Andrew, and he lost John. But you know what? He was happy because they <laughs> went to go be with Jesus. It's a great lesson for us. If people come in and out of our life, but they start following Jesus, that's all that matters, right? We get less followers, it's more praise to his name. The witness of or to the word. Secondly, let's move on to verse 16. And I want you to see, secondly, the grace and truth from the word. The grace and truth from the word. These are, these are two interesting verses. Verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. That little word, upon, we'll come back to it. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, the terms grace and truth we've already seen back in verse 14. Justin walked us through this last week. The Greek word grace, charis, the Greek word truth, aletheia. Justin reminded us that, that grace, it's loving kindness, unmerited favor. God shows it to us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Unprovoked favor towards us. The idea of truth, Justin used three words, faithfulness, consistency, steadfastness. If I could add one more, like accuracy. This idea that when the word became flesh and we beheld his glory, that glory, who Jesus is, the characteristics, the attributes, all that Christ is, is filled with two defining attributes. Loving kindness, grace, <laughs> steadfast truth, faithfulness, accuracy. Well, to sum up how John views Jesus, he says he's full of grace and truth. And isn't this such a great balance? Some people are full of grace, but they never speak truth, right? Some people speak truth, but they never speak it in grace. And so you're either completely sugar or you're completely vinegar. And neither one of those are good. I don't know if you mix them together, it would be that great, right? Bad analogy. I apologize. Anyway, you understand what I'm saying? You've met certain people that are all grace and no truth, and we would probably say they're not full of grace because they're not sharing truth. Some people may speak of accurately things, but they do it in such a way that they alienate. They don't reconcile people with God. But this one, what is he filled with? What is he full of? Grace and truth. Now notice what John says. For from his fullness, we have all received... So all that Jesus is, one commentator says it this way, the full resources of God stand behind the incarnate one. All of God is there in the word. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily, Colossians says. So what does this mean? First, this means that Christ himself is the source of all that we receive. 
like Jesus is not only the, the, the giver, he's the source. He's not a middleman, okay? He doesn't take from somebody else because he's in need and then passes it on to somebody else. If you remember back in verse 3, it says, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. He possessed it himself eternally. All that Christ is, because he has been eternally God, he possesses all that he gives us. And it's almost like we don't receive everything that he is because that would overwhelm us. But anything that we need, it comes from him. All that we need comes from him. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, it all comes from Jesus. And so then that begs the question, in the new year, will we find Christ enough? (laughs) Not in the sense, well, I don't have to go to work and get a job because Christ is enough. No. Christ says in the New Testament, you don't work, you don't eat. So how is Christ providing you means? He's giving you a job. But Christ is enough in the sense that, as Peter said, if we were to leave you, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so that's what John is saying, that Christ here is the source. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. For from his fullness, we have all received, look at this last phrase, grace upon grace. I told you to underline that little preposition, upon. Now, I'm reading out the ESV, so a little audience participation, please. Does anybody else have anything else after the comma, grace upon grace? Does anybody else have anything else in their English translation? We're all reading ESV this morning. What you got? Grace in place of grace already given. Does that sound weird to anybody? That's actually pretty close to what the Greek says. Anything, any, any, anybody else? Grace upon grace? Gracious blessings after another. Gracious blessings after another. Anything else? What you got? Grace upon grace from his fullness. One more, anybody else? So, grace upon grace... what Miss Sandy read, it kind of puts in our minds that here's one grace and here's another grace and here's another grace. It's kind of like, I don't know why my mind just goes to food, but it's just kind of like pancakes. It's like grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You see see what I'm saying? Like there's, there's just an overwhelming abundance of grace. But, but the Greek preposition here is, is anti, which can mean for, instead of, in place of? Now, if I read it in the English to you, that God has given us, or from his fullness we have received, from Christ's fullness we have received, grace instead of grace. Or grace in place of grace. It was like, what? What are we talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Because you've got an undefined grace that replaces another undefined grace. Like, what does he mean by that? Y'all tracking with me? Like, what? That's why we got verse 17. Now, notice what he says. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, check this out. In verse 16, he talks about two 
graces, grace upon grace, or grace instead of grace. And then he tells us those two graces are in verse 17. Now check this out. First grace is the law that came through Moses. The second grace, emphatically, is the grace and the truth that came through Jesus Christ. Hang with me. Let me explain it just for a second. What John is saying is, is that God graced us before Christ with the law. Mount Sinai, Moses goes up. And what does God do? God reveals himself. God shares himself. You remember in Exodus 34, God proclaimed his name to Moses. Moses didn't see God's face, but he saw God's back. And that in itself is grace, right? Worship me, the one true living God. This is how you please me. This is who I am. This is what my attributes are like. This is how you get to know me. This is how you live to please me. And the law came. That's grace. Because unless God reveals himself, we're in utter darkness. But check this out. Now that the word has become flesh, there is a second type of grace. And that second type of grace is a much greater grace than the grace that had been given before. This is what I want you to see. Grace and the truth from Christ is a greater grace than the grace of the law. That's what he's saying here. We have all received grace upon grace or grace in place of grace. The grace and truth that came through Jesus replaced the grace given through Moses. Now check this out. That is not an indictment on the law. The law's good. But why is the grace through Jesus greater than the grace through law? I've got a couple reasons up there. First is that the law revealed God in part, but Jesus reveals God fully. In the law, we find who God is. We find this attribute of God and this attribute of God. Hebrews says it this way, in times past, God revealed himself through the prophets. And this prophet would reveal this. And this prophet would reveal this. And while that is in some sense a direct revelation from God, guess what? When we see Jesus, there is nothing else that needs to be added to the puzzle. Jesus is the complete revelation of God. That's why Jesus is, brings the greater grace. Also, the law prophesied about the Messiah. But Jesus is the Messiah. The law painted a great portrait of who Jesus, the Messiah, would be. It would be almost like if, if <clears throat> isn't it cool to have like really talented people in your congregation? Like sometimes I just walk around and be like, dude, I'm, I'm a doofus around here like with all y'all and y'all's talents. Like we got Adam up here and like Adam painted, you know, it's like a portrait. And then somehow that portrait like came alive and like walked down the steps and sat on the seat. Like that's the difference between the law prophesying about Jesus and the word becoming flesh. One is a portrait. One, the other is someone that you don't just stare at from a distance as somebody that speaks to you and you speak to them. And this grace and truth that came through Jesus is greater than the grace of the law because it's not just a portrait of, or, or a prophecy. It's the actual person being prophesied about. But the grace that comes through Jesus is greater because the law shows us our need for salvation. But the law can't save. None of us can keep the law, can we? The more we try to keep the law, the more we realize we fail the law. And the law was given to show us our great need of a Savior. 
Through the works of the law, no one will be justified. But praise God, the one that the law talked about to come. He came. He kept that law perfectly. And when I believe on him, his perfect law keeping is credited to my account. And I don't have to keep trying to earn my salvation by my works. I can trust him and his work alone. And once that righteousness is given to me, it's not removed. I may fail as a Christian, but guess what? His righteousness stays. It's on the basis of that righteousness when I blow it on a Thursday in March in this upcoming year that I can come before God. And not only do I have his righteousness, but I actually have him, my high priest, beside the Father, pleading on my behalf. And the Father hears me and welcomes me and forgives me and reconciles me and the fellowship's restored. Why? Not because of me, but because of him. That's the gospel. And guess what? It worked in 2023. It'll work in 2024. It'll work for all eternity. And you see what he's saying now? The law was given through Moses, and that was grace. But now, grace and truth, the grace, the truth. There's definite articles in the Greek. The grace, this unique grace, and this truth has been given. Now, notice what he says. First time in the, in the Gospel of John that he's dropped Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? It's his title. The Christ, the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. This is the one that the grace and truth came through. Finally, verse 18, the revelation by the word. If you remember a few weeks back, we defined Lagos, the word, as the self-expression of God. And, And we talked about words, like when I say something, you know what I'm thinking because I have expressed it. I could get in trouble here, but may your marriage prosper in 2024 with better communication because your words verbalize your thoughts. And all the men said, amen. Talk to us. We know we don't listen all the time, but it helps. Ladies, I get in trouble for saying that. I love you. All right. Self-expression brought from communication. And so God's ultimate communication of what's in his mind and his heart was that he sent his word to us. And so guess what? We now can know what God thinks, what's in God's heart, who God is, because somebody has revealed him. Now, notice what he says to start verse 18. No one has ever seen God. (laughs) No one's ever seen God. No one has ever looked upon the invisible, living, and true God. No one can comprehend him. No one can box him in. No one knows exactly what he is like. And what that tells us is is that we, we don't see and understand God without revelation. Like, we don't see God. We don't understand him without revelation. You know what human track record is? We comprehend God and we try to make God like us. I think John Calvin said that the human heart is a factory of idols. Like Ray Comfort says that in the beginning God created man in his image and ever since then man's been trying to make God in his image. And so our natural default, unless our heart's been changed by grace, is to bring God down. It's it's to bring God down to our level and to fashion him and shape him. And, and this is why, uh, you know, sometimes 
traveling overseas, you, you see these festivals and, you know, they have, they have idols and they, they shape idols and I can go take you to the shop where the idol was like fashioned and I can see like, look at an idol shop and I can see like the idol being made and the processes of it and I can see the paint that they'll use on the body and I can see the mud that they're fashioning. And it's like what the prophet Jeremiah said. He's like, you cut down a tree, you use half for firewood, you use half to make your God. Like, what is going on? And what it tells us is, unless God reveals himself to us, we won't know who he is. No one's ever seen God. Here's the grace and the truth. Notice what John says. The only God, or the only one, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So we can't understand God, but check this out. Jesus is uniquely and exclusively qualified to be the one that reveals God. We can't understand God. Unless God takes the first step towards us, we'll never understand him. We'll create an idol. We won't worship him. We won't please him. And so God in his grace hinted and declared and revealed partially who he was through the law. But in the fullness of time, Jesus came. Now, what does this mean that Jesus is uniquely and exclusively qualified? Notice what it, Jesus, it says two things about him here. Again, the English, based off your translation, will be a little different because the Greek's kind of hard to render. It says the only God. Some of your Bibles have a footnote. Or the only one who is God. Some of yours have the only Son. The, the, the Greek word there, monogenes, is, means like the only one of a certain type. Like mono one. Like genes where we get our word like gene from or species or type. So the word there literally says, this one that reveals he is the only one like himself. There's nobody else like him. He's the unique one. He is the only one. He is the only person of his class or kind. He is unique. And why is that? Because he's the only one that has ever been God from all eternity and in the fullness of time has taken on human flesh. See why Jesus is unique? All of us have a beginning. He doesn't have one. And so when we look at Jesus, we not only see a man, we see the God-man. So Jesus is the unique one, the only one, the God-man. He's the one that's qualified. But notice what John says also. This one is at the Father's side. Or some of your English translations say, he is in the bosom of the Father. This is personal Communion. We see this language in the Bible. When someone's in the bosom of another, they're close. It, it's parent-child in the Old Testament, husband-wife. In, um, in Luke 16, talking about the afterlife, the Lazarus is with Abraham. He's in Abraham's bosom, and it's this idea of he's in the presence of someone. And so what John is saying here, you know why Jesus is the one that can reveal God to us? Because for all eternity, guess where he's been? He's been at the Father's side. He's been proton theon. He's been with God. He's been in intimate communion with God. Now, I saw something this week I'd not seen before. Notice what it says, verse 18. The only God who is. Notice, notice his present tense. It's not speaking of something in the past. Now, now, when did John write this gospel? He wrote this gospel, obviously, after the death and the resurrection. And check this out. He wrote this after the ascension of Jesus. See what John's saying? 
Jesus is qualified. He's unique. He's the only one because he was with the Father and he came down and he lived among us. But guess where he is now? He's back with the Father. (laughs) So good. He came from the Father. He went back to the Father. And the whole time on earth, guess what he was? He was an intimate, personal fellowship with the Father. So if anybody knows who God is, guess who it is? It's the Word. And if anybody knows the Father intimately, personally, there's only one. This one made flesh. And what does he do? It says here that he has made him known. Write down these verbs on the screen and we'll, we'll land here. This is so important. He has made him known, meaning that Jesus reveals, translates, interprets, and explains God to us. Jesus has made known who God is to us. He alone uniquely qualified. He alone uniquely able to do this. Now, what's really cool is this Greek word is where we get our English word exegesis from. Now, that's a, that's a preacher, Bible, theologian word, and, and that's this what we try to do every Sunday. Exegesis means that I go to the text, and I read the text, And I'm trying to do three things. I'm trying to read what the text actually says. And from the text, I'm trying to interpret what the text means, what it meant for John and his readers. So what does the text say? What does the text mean? The third aspect of exegesis is how does it apply to us now? And how does that application, check this out, not change the interpretation and not change the actual text? You want to know whether somebody's preaching the Bible? Ask those three questions. What's the text say? What's the text mean? How's the text apply? Proper exegesis does all three of those. It doesn't bypass the other two. It doesn't, and and the opposite of that would be eisegesis, like reading reading my opinion onto the text. I want the text to say this, so I'm going to put it there, and I'm going to go copy and paste the proof text so that I can be justified and think what I think. No. Exegesis, what's the text say? What's the text mean? What's the text apply? And so this is what the Bible is saying. (laughs) is that Jesus, who knows who the Father is, he has come down as the Word of God and proclaimed to us who the Father is. He has explained to us who the Father is. He has translated, not out of Greek into English, but out of heaven into earth, who God is. He shows us who God is. And so if we have any doubt about who God is, we look at Jesus, and to see Jesus is to have seen the Father. Again, not that they're the same person, but they're the same God. And to see Jesus and to know Jesus And to understand Jesus is to know exactly who God is. And so when we really say that Jesus is the only way to be saved, we mean it. Because no one else is qualified like Jesus. No one else has been with the Father from all eternity. No one else in the fullness of time has come down and become flesh. No one else has lived a perfect life. No one else has borne the wrath of God in our place for our sin. No one else has walked out of their own grave. And no one else has ascended back to the Father and is ruling and reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords, except Jesus Christ. So what's the point? Behold him. When we value him in this way, 
it will change how we live in 2024. One of my favorite songs this Christmas season, John Ryan, you can come on up. One of my favorite songs this Christmas season was it's a new song by Matt Boswell and Matt Papa. It's called In the Fullness of Time. It's a good song. But they end the song rewriting to the melody of Holy, Holy, Holy. Listen how it says. Holy, 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 in a manger lowly, Christ the Son, now veiled in flesh in our humanity. Kingdoms bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. God here in person. Hail his majesty. Hail his majesty. Cross point this morning as we wrap up a year and we head into another one. The secret that I'll have to remind myself of and that I want you to remind me of and I can remind you of. The secret that we as pastors need to remind ourselves of. The secret that you as brothers and sisters in your small groups and in our congregation, you need to remind yourself of is when we behold him, we live differently. When we behold him and his value and his rank and his majesty, our lives change. Our priorities change. Preaching to myself, how we perceive others changes. What we do changes. How we live changes. And it doesn't become how <laughs> do I get more Jesus in my life. It means <laughs> how I surrender more of my life in all areas of my life to this one that I'm beholding. That my life will show his value. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you that you and you alone are uniquely and exclusively qualified to reveal the Father to us accurately, graciously, truthfully, kindly. Lord, we would create our own God so you came down and made it apparent and clear who God is, that we might know him the only true God in Jesus Christ who we've sent. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking on flesh. Thank you for revealing the Father. Thank you for faithful men that wrote your life down and we have four accounts of your life. Thank you for the word of God. Holy Spirit, thank you for inspiring and writing scripture through faithful people. So Lord, help us to be a witness. Help us to be faithful. Help us to believe the testimony of Jesus. Help us to continually receive that grace and that truth to shape us and mold us and make us. Lord, it's so, uh, so encouraging to have a God who knows what it's like to be human and who is at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. So Lord, as we've uh, walked through John 1, just really the first half of it, the last month, this word just kind of stick in our hearts, behold him, behold him, behold him. That God, this coming year, there would be progress 
in keeping you at the forefront of all things. You are preeminent above all things. And that the life that we live will be lived through the filter and the lens of the value of Christ. Church, as, uh, as we've heard the word, how's God speaking to your hearts? Maybe you don't know Jesus this morning. Please come grab one of us as pastors. We'll be at the back. We'd love to share the gospel with you and point you to Jesus. To trust what he's done on your behalf to make you right with God, to save you from your sins. Church, there may be at the end of one year, the beginning of another, just a reminder that he's coming soon and how we live matters. Maybe your prayer this morning as you sing or just as you stand or maybe sit and pray is, uh, Lord Jesus, this year, help me to value you more. To live in light of your great worth. So let's stand as, I just pray over us, let's stand as we get ready to sing. Stand with me, please. Father, apply your word in our hearts that we may see you rightly, that we may treasure Christ rightly, that we may be obedient to the Holy Spirit rightly. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lead us, Daniel.